This is Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, where we talk to industrial and systems engineers about their work, ideas, and solutions. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, part two of our triple episode premiere. In this episode, IISE's James Swisher interviews Morgan Smith, the retired president and CEO of Consolidated Nuclear Security, LLC. Smith is another one of our keynote speakers for the Lean Six Sigma and Data Science Conference, taking place September 20th through the 22nd at the Grand Hyatt Buckhead in Atlanta, our first live conference since before the COVID-19 pandemic began. You can learn more about the conference program, registration, and health and safety measures by visiting the conference website at iise.org slash Lean Six Sigma. For now, please enjoy our discussion with Morgan Smith. Please join me in welcoming Morgan Smith to the show. Morgan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, James. It's good to be with you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and and in particular, um, how you decided to pursue a career in nuclear power of all things? Sure. So I grew up in York, Pennsylvania. And in high school, I would say it was a physics teacher that influenced me probably both towards engineering and even more importantly, just going to college. Right. I was first generation, really, to go to college. And he gave me a vision and he sort of gave me a push. And I went that path. Now, I didn't know much about engineering. Frankly, I didn't know much about college majors. (laughs) And so I went to a civil engineering presentation that they had at the high school. Yeah. And I liked working with my hands. I liked building things. So that led me the path of, well, I guess I'll major in civil engineering. Right. So I went off to college, went into civil engineering as my major. And I have to admit, I didn't really enjoy college. In my junior year, I dropped out. I'll be darned. And so during the summers when I was in college, I had worked as a millwright helper in a paper mill and did other production work. And so once I dropped out, within a week, I was back at the paper mill working full time as a millwright helper. Sure. And during that time, the people that I worked with, predominantly the other millwrights, the carpenters, machinists, whoever they may be, pushed me hard that, hey, son, you have an opportunity we never had. You're sort of a fool for having dropped out. (laughs) And you need to go back to college at some point. And they continued to pressure me. And over time, ultimately, I made that decision. I did go back and finish up a civil engineering degree. Now, at the time I got out of college, there weren't really many civil engineering jobs because at least at that time, civil engineering seemed to be more episodic as far as there were jobs or not jobs. Right. But my advisor had received a call from the Naval Nuclear Propulsion Division of Westinghouse in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And he was asked to give a recommendation for somebody to come or to at least be interviewed to come. And he gave them my name. And so they called me. We did the interview. And ultimately, I was hired at the Plant Apparatus Division of Westinghouse. Wow. And began my career there on nuclear components. And over time, 
you know, I just got involved and what started as a job really out of necessity in some regards, because when I got out of college, I needed work, became a passion and a lifelong pursuit. And so from there, the career evolved into managerial assignments and then sort of a several naval nuclear sites and then ultimately in the nuclear weapons program. And the rest is history, as they say, right? Yeah, the rest is history. As they say. <laughs> I guess maybe to answer your question more succinctly or directly, <laughs> I didn't get into the nuclear industry as a decision. Right, right. It happened. <laughs> it was a job necessity. And from there, the passion and the drive and the desire developed. Sure. And then, as you said, the rest became history. <laughs> You know, so many things in life seem to be that way, though. You know, um, you you have a mentor or somebody who who gives you a push in a direction, and you discover your passion. You discover what you're good at. So that's it's it's great that you had that physics teacher, and great that you had that advisor who helped kind of guide guide your path and <laughs> uh, set you in the direction that that uh, you wound up being very very successful in. I appreciate that. I, I do believe that uh, there's a quote from a gentleman, Charlie Tremendous Jones, from years ago. And it goes along the lines of you'll be the same five years from now as you are today, except for the people you meet and the books you read. Mm. That's and really think, profound. <laughs> yeah, what you've just pointed out, the people you met along the way are the ones that, in my case, really helped shape. I'm very thankful and blessed that they crossed my path and I crossed yeah. theirs. Yeah. Wow. That's great. That's great. I love that quote. Well, kind of shifting gears, you know, um, your, your experience in the nuclear industry, you, you've had a lot of great experience. You've worked with a lot of different engineers across all disciplines. What are you seeing in terms of how industrial and systems engineers are, are playing a role in nuclear security today? Well, obviously, nuclear work, nuclear security are significant systems integration issues across the whole spectrum. It requires careful design and careful implementation. And an awful lot of disciplines have to come together to make things work and make them work well. Yeah. However, so often in our various individual disciplines, that's not necessarily how we think. Okay, <laughs> nuclear security and maybe just give it a phenomenal oversimplification, but then as well use it as an illustration. So if I'm just a security person, what do I want? I want absolute security. I want the materials all contained. I want them controlled. I'd prefer if they never move, I just keep locked up. Right. (laughs) And that's when I feel the best about where it is from a security standpoint. If I'm the production guy, I want free access to the materials. I want them when and where I need them. Right. And I want as minimal constraints as possible to get this work done. Sure. Each one is individually happy if they get what they want. But as a system, we don't function at all. So the systems engineering, the industrial engineering The systems thinking, and I almost often just refer to it as systems thinking, is so essential 
to get work completed in the most effective and efficient, but yet compliant manner. And compliant is certainly in all the disciplines essential, but effective and efficient is also essential if we're going to be productive and accomplish the missions that are before us. And so I think to get to that optimized and integrated approach, you need the systems engineering, you need the industrial engineering thought processes, tools, and sort of leadership to get all these disciplines to come together and integrate in a fashion that you actually can accomplish the mission, you can meet the goals, and you do it in a way that's responsible, in my case, with my background, to the taxpayer, right? but it may be in a utility to those that are paying their utility bills, whoever it may be, whoever, quote unquote, the customer is. Without that integrated approach and the thought processes around an integrated system, the sub-optimization just costs in service, time, and money. So I think the systems and industrial engineering have to come to the forefront yeah. in those type of situations. Yeah, that, I think you're 100 percent right. Uh, it reminds me of the uh, the beach ball analogy. You know, if uh, if I'm standing on the the red part of the beach ball, all I see is red, and if you're standing on the blue part, all you see is blue. So we've got to figure out how to <laughs> take that macro view and and understand how how did we work as a system, um, and what are what are our goals overall, as opposed to just our kind of individual function goals. Uh, I think that's really insightful. Absolutely. Well, you know, we were uh, focused at our, our Lean Six Sigma and Data Science Conference on both, you know, sort of systems thinking and also how we're using data in industry. How about on the data analytics side? Are you seeing um, that becoming a bigger part of how we make industry safer and more efficient? I see data analytics as a very key aspect of the future. I think in many of our industries, we have a lot of data we don't necessarily know what to do with it or how to use it. (laughs) Right. And so I actually think this is an area where we need additional vision and leadership as to what is the realm of the possible. And this is an area that I was very focused on before I left my prior job, although I must say I didn't accomplish near as much as I would have liked because I really believe that for those of us that have grown up in the industry and we don't really even understand all the available tools and data analytics, it's hard to develop that vision. Right. And so I think we need the entry level data analytical people, but we also need those that have the experience in industry, but understand the data analytics very well to help guide and set the vision for the future. And if we can do that, I think then the sky's the limit. But I don't know that we necessarily have that many of those types of people available right now. Or if they are available, we don't know how totally to describe the job to even recruit and attract them and bring them in. So I think there's more work to be done there. The other aspect is... I think we have to think through what is the power of the data? Too often, again, it's easy to think about data from the standpoint of 
I'm going to roll it up and put it in a report. Right. Chances are another report that no one's going to read. <laughs> right. But even if they do read it, they stand informed, but they don't necessarily stand in a position to take action on that data. So we need to turn data analytics into something that's more than just data. We need to have vision. And then we need to have the behaviors that take that data, act on that data with the vision, change systems, build systems, make decisions. And ultimately, the way I look at it, we need to become physicians with the data. And by that, I mean, we need to figure out how to use the data as the precursor to avoid something. When I go to the physician, I'm hoping the physician just says to me, Morgan, you know, you need to adjust your lifestyle. You need to adjust your diet. If you don't do this or that, it's going to lead to this kind of consequence. Right. That's what I desire most of the physician. I'm not looking forward to the day that the coroner examines me. <laughs> but the coroner is just going to look at me and say, well, he's dead. Now I wonder why he died. Right. Well, you can use data for that as well. And we tend to use that. We do a lot of causal analyses. We do a lot of retrospect of the data, but I would like to be a physician. And I think industry needs to be the physician, not the coroner with the use of that data. And too often we think of it in terms of being the coroner, not being the physician. And so it's a I great think that's analogy. the opportunity. Get out in front, look for the precursors. If we could spot the precursors, we would know when the behaviors are deteriorating relative to safety and reduce safety instances. We would know when it's a precursor to sort of moving the wrong direction in an industrial product production sequence or a quality sequence and how to get in front of it and stop it before you have the issue. And then thus you become the coroner. So those are my thoughts on it. Well, I think that's, I think you're spot on really. How do we, how do we move from a, a retrospective analytics perspective to a, a predictive analytics perspective? I, I think you're spot on. And, um, Gosh, I think uh, that that really is the the magic question across all industries, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Well, you know, we've seen a a, a lot of um, data security breaches and in, in some high profile ones over the last uh, six months or so. Um, how do you see the, you know the role of of analytics and systems thinking in in uh, helping to prevent those or or maybe uh, finding ways to minimize the impact of those? I think. I'll start with the systems thinking aspect. It's interesting when you think of all the disciplines and we think of data breaches as either a cybersecurity typically or an IT issue. But in reality, in any industry in today's world, I think all of us have to think that we play a role actually in every discipline. I sometimes term it as we all have to behave as the owners. The owner is worried about everything. <laughs> the hired help is just worried about their specific thing. But we need to behave as the owners. And if we do, then we recognize that it's everyone's responsibility. That's where, to me, the systems approach comes in. Because even the user can be the one that opens the door for the data breach to occur. Right. 
especially when you're working in high security environments. And so we all need to accept that ownership. But I think we have to spend the time then to have people understand the entire system and not just view it as, well, cybersecurity will take care of it or IT will program it such that it can't happen. You'll never make it perfect and there'll always be opportunity. So we need to own it as a system. Now you can use the data, interestingly enough, to see what your user and what your other interface behaviors are with the people that are engaged and look at the data, look for trends there and have the opportunity again to be that physician that I put out. Because once you have the data breach, we're into the coroner mode. <laughs> right. And frankly, there, sometimes we even get into the mortician mode. We try to pretty it up and make it look good. <laughs> and it really is because it's a data breach. It's dead. It's right. gone. <laughs> and so therefore, we need to, I think, really all appreciate more about this, except the ownership of it take the approach that all of us are looking for any holes in the net, if you will, and making sure that the right people understand there's a hole or a potential hole there and then bring it together. And so it, to me, that's back to the systems thinking. Right. But again, using the data to be predictive where possible would be of the greatest advantage. That makes a lot of sense. Well, uh, how about in terms of where do you see the industry going? Where do you see renewable energy uh, innovations coming in? Do you see Lean and Six Sigma process improvements um, making a difference in where we're headed in terms of innovation in energy? I do, but I probably see it, or I think about it more at a macro level almost than a micro level. Sure. Now, I'll start with a disclaimer. I'm not a renewable energy expert in any way, shape, or form. So it's more of opinion. But I'll start very simply. I'm sitting in this house in Delaware that I purchased a couple of years ago. It has solar panels on the roof that somebody installed 10 plus years ago. My electric bill for June with those solar power panels on there was $20.47. Wow. I think it's a pretty enviable electric bill in a house that's used. We raised eight kids. We have a lot of grandkids. <laughs> so there's a lot of people using energy at times in this house when we're all together. So someone had the vision there to put those solar panels on. I have no idea what it cost. I'm a beneficiary. Here, the power company, the utility company is very beneficial to it because they take and give you credit for the excess power that you produce. And that's how you get such a low energy bill. Right. However, in the number of blocks on this street, I've only ever seen one other house that has the solar panels. So I can say there's a lot of advantage. There appears to be a lot of advantage, but I don't see much use. Now, why is that? I don't know. I don't know whether... It's the cost of installation, which I really don't know what it is, whether it's a lack of education or understanding of the benefits. But again, it gets back to to embrace that renewable energy. It's a systems thinking process. 
and it's an understanding of all the data or a presentation of all the data in a way that people can accept it. The big debate where I'm sitting right now is whether or not wind turbines go out in the ocean. And I'm sitting about 300 feet from where the water breaks on the Atlantic. The wind turbines will be a number of miles out if they go in as proposed, but obviously a lot of people do not want the wind turbines. So again, it's a form of renewable, not necessarily accepted. Geothermal, I think is accepted because you can't see it by and large, but it's expensive today to put it in. So again, our system has to be, how do we look at things holistically? How do we use the data to portray it and gain the acceptance? I think there's a lot more technological capability right now than we're using. Probably where we need to focus the technological capabilities is on higher yield out of what it is that is designed and developed, and probably where possible, a more aesthetic appearance that makes it less rejectable by people, which is a different set of engineering (laughs) skill sets than somebody like me that came out of the nuclear industry where you build a valve, you don't really care what it looks like. (laughs) All good design should be eloquent to the eye it shouldn't have abrupt changes, but by the same token, that valve didn't have to be aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> right. And so we, we need to work on that and get that systems thinking in a much greater way. Lean Six Sigma, I think there, again, it's more the application of the tools and the use of those tools in ways that connect with the people that need to embrace the information. And oftentimes with Lean Six Sigma, in my experience, in my journey, and I know one of the tracks that you're going to pursue in the conference is that there's not always acceptance. Even if you go through the work of doing the review, people don't do anything with it. And what I have found is you need to reduce the area where you apply the tools to something that's bite-sized that somebody can get their head around. Too often, especially in the early days, we looked for the quote-unquote Six Sigma review, which was the soup to nuts. People couldn't get their head around it, and the lean portion wasn't at the forefront. I'm a big believer in the lean. Let's go attack something that's bite-sized. We can manage the data. We can get our head around it, and we can go. And how you apply that into the renewable energy, I'm not sure. But I think a lot of the resistance to data and a lot of resistance to the tools is often the inability to communicate it in a way that resonates with a person that you're trying to communicate to. That's a great point. Well, that's where I think the opportunity is. Well, that's, I think that's really, um, it's a thoughtful response, Morgan. And, and, um, gosh, you know, I think that you could apply that across so many different fields, uh, in, in our society today, you know, um, uh, 
folks' um, inability to understand or grasp data. You know, I think we have to do a much better job um, um, making the data accessible to folks so that they can make smart decisions. And, and as you say, be that physician <laughs> and not that coroner. So uh, I think you're definitely on the right track. I think the other aspect today, playing a little bit off of your comment, is we've grown increasingly suspect of the source of data. Yeah. And that is going to be problematic as we move forward, because without trust in the source of data, you won't gain acceptance. Great point. I think for those of us that are in the profession, we have to be above reproach in our presentation of the data, factual and truthful in the data, not over amplify or over embellish what it means. Because once you lose that trust and faith in those that are providing the information in today's world, it just will not go anywhere. It's a great point. And, and, you know, I think that's, um, that's one of those lessons. It's sometimes difficult to learn as a, as a young engineer, <laughs> you know, you've learned all these technical skills uh, and you know, the data inside and out, but building trust with folks so that they can trust that data, they can make sound decisions based on that. Um, that's a learned skill, I think, and, and probably not a skill that many folks come out of their university programs with. Yeah, I agree. And I, I do think that that's uh... Ultimately, there's a lot of things we can't control, but we can control our own behaviors. And thus, in some regards, we can control the reputation we earn by what, how we present the data and what we do with it. Great point. And I think that's a very that's a very lean way of thinking as well, that you know, so much of the foundation of lean is, is respect for people. And part of respect is, is building relationships and building trust. Well, speaking of that, I'm uh, I am really excited about your keynote uh, address at our Lean Six Sigma and Data Science Conference this year. Um, I'm wondering if maybe you can give us a little sneak peek of of what you're planning to talk about. Well, first off, an open disclosure: I'm still formulating my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a college roommate who said, if you wait to the last minute, it only takes a minute to do. Yeah, well, I, I put a lot more than a minute in it. But, uh, sometimes I don't know what I'm going to say till I say it, which is a bad thing. But I know it'll focus, number one, on continuous improvement, which I think is at the core of actually looking over the conference in the tracks that are planned, it's at the core of many of the tracks that are planned. And I think that I want to go the direction with that at oftentimes in continuous improvement, we think about tools and methods. However, without both the desire to do something with it, and then follow-on behaviors that are actually going to embrace and do something with it, it doesn't really change anything. And it's sort of, I can buy new tools and stick them in my toolbox that do amazing things. But if I never pull them out and I continue to do it the same old way I did it before, 
I haven't really changed anything, even though I own new tools. And I can go to a conference and talk about these tools with some degree of authority, as long as no one ever asked me, well, how do you use it? (laughs) And so uh, I always want to focus on the aspects of continuous improvement where we're actually embracing and doing something with that, with which we've learned. I also focused on systems thinking and integration and turning data into action. Again, I've seen a lot of data collection over the years and I've seen it compiled and rolled up, but oftentimes I've seen very little done with it. Yeah. And as well, I've seen it looked at more from the perspective of the individual disciplines as opposed to with the system thought process on what does this really mean as a system. And so hopefully I'll have some useful remarks along those lines because I really believe that the future leaders in industry are going to be the ones that think from a systems perspective, number one. Number two, gain a vision out of data, not just the ability to analyze data. And that vision is what's so important in leadership. And then using that data in a preventive and diagnostic way, as opposed to just a look back way to do a causal analysis or to analyze why performance wasn't where you want it to be. Because I think ultimately the key is problem avoidance and value creation. Yeah. And that's what leaders, the best of leaders are off to do. And so I think your conference is focused a lot on that. I think the people that learn how to do these things in the most significant way will be the greatest of the future leaders. And for sure, we need those future leaders. And future leaders aren't just those that sit on the top of a company. There are leaders at every level. And one of the things I'm a big believer in is the best of leaders are those that can influence others. Right. And influence does not necessarily come from the power of position. It comes from your ability to articulate ideas make them compelling based on what you understand, which is that systems perspective, the use of data, and that continuous drive to always improve. So those are the type of thoughts I hope to convey, but as well as I continue to refine them, I'll look for you to also tell me whether I'm on the mark and help (laughs) with what else you're planning for the conference. It sure sounds like you are. I am. Um, I'm really excited to to hear your keynote presentation, uh, and I know all of our attendees will be as well. Um, it's it's going to be a great conference, and uh, really appreciate you sharing your wisdom. You you've got so much knowledge across so many different domains, and uh, really appreciate your perspective. So I'm I'm looking forward to it very very much. Well, thank you, James. I'm I'm looking forward to it as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Problem Solved, the IISC podcast, a production of the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers in Metro Atlanta. This podcast is produced by David Brandt, Keith Albertson, and Michael Hughes, and edited by David Brandt. 
You can listen to all episodes of Problem Solved and learn about sponsorship opportunities by visiting our website, podcast.iise.org. You can also learn more about IISE at the Institute's website, www.iise.org.